This morning, I want to title this message, The Safety of Counsel. The Safety of Counsel. And let's ease into this morning. Let's present ourselves to the Lord, quiet our hearts, close our eyes, center ourselves. And maybe for the first time all week, some of you can just stop and be still and take a second and just breathe. It's okay. Life is not sinking under you. The Lord, the giver of life, Abba Father, is with us and has promised to provide for the birds of the air and the grass of the fields. And Jesus says, how much more? Will your heavenly Father provide for you? So center us this morning, we ask, Father, as we sit in stillness for a quick moment, would you orient and align, and align our lives into that reality that you are Abba, you are provider, you are the giver of life and provision. Let's be still for a moment. God, where there's clamor in our lives, clamor in our souls, clamor in our situation, we remember that the enemy is the great clamorer. The enemy is the lion who goes around roaring, creating noise, creating distractions, inducing fear. And right now, we look to the one who is our good shepherd, the one who makes us lay down in green pastures, the one who leads us beside still waters, the one who restores our soul. So would you take us by the hand, good shepherd of our souls this morning, and would you lead us into green pastures and still waters of kingdom life anew? Where there's areas of our lives that have drifted, there's areas of our hearts that have become cold or cooled by the circumstances of life, would you warm our hearts once again? And would you bring us back into the center, the bullseye, the epicenter of kingdom life? We ask that you would do it. And as we study the scriptures and as we meditate on them together and as we discuss them together as New Life Young Adults, we ask that you would teach us according to your scriptures by the Holy Spirit. Would you provoke us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you edify us? as we sit under the Holy Scriptures, which are our provision. So come, be near to us, Holy Spirit. Teach us, instruct us, and we love you and fix our eyes on you. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the young adult said, amen, amen. Uh, Do you have those people in your life that you can call up on a whim and ask for advice? Or maybe not even ask for advice, but just word vomit and vent. Ah, this is happening. That was a vivid picture. I'm sorry. My dad is one of these people. Uh, Pops. Pops Caldwell. We lovingly call him. And uh, I give my dad a call often. Uh, Dad, I got a 401k. How should I invest? Should I invest aggressively or should I maybe kick it back to conservative investing? I don't know. Uh, Pops, hey, I got a pipe leak in my house and there is ungodly sewage everywhere. What do I do? 
these days, the advice and the counsel that I've sought ha- have been more of a venting because uh, frequently our conversations have entailed pops. My kids are driving me insane. How do you do it? How did you have four of us and keep your cool? The people in our lives who are the counselors, the people in our lives who give us sound wisdom, who are these people? Well, Scripture uh, really emphasizes the role that counselors are to play in our lives, specifically when it comes to us making decisions. And in this young adult season of life where we are making decisions, right, big decisions that have implications for the rest of our lives, uh, Scripture is this beautiful and encouraging and comforting voice that comes alongside us and really emphasizes the role that counselors are to play in this season of decision-making. We see a number of verses in Proverbs speak specifically to this. These one-liners in Proverbs that just smack you in the gut. You ever have those? Like, oh man, that is good. Proverbs 15, 22 is one of these. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Pretty simple, and yet right to the throat of our situation. Proverbs eleven fourteen also says, Where there is no guidance, a people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Counselors, counselors, guidance. Um, I think we see clearly this emphasis and this centrality of uh, the voices of counselors in the decision-making process. And actually, when we study scripture, we see that faithful and responsible decision-making always takes place, always takes place within the context of trusted community. Time and time and time again in Scripture, when it speaks of making decisions, it speaks of making decisions with counselors. It speaks of making decisions with trusted voices around you who can cover the blind spots a little bit, who can speak in and say, yeah, you're thinking this and that's good and right, but you're an idiot. Uh, And maybe you need to think over here. It doesn't really put it in those words, but that happens from time to time. The counselors in our lives, these voices who come alongside us and say, yeah, okay, but have you taken this into account? These counselors, these, these guides. And actually, scripture goes so far as to say that in a number of counselors, there is safety Like, it's not just a sweet, cute thing that we add into our lives when we're making decisions, but it actually promotes safety for us. There are guardrails, there are boundaries that fence us into wisdom, that fence us into the right way of living, that fence us in and keep our decisions safe from inducing harm to self. That in a multitude of counselors, there is safety, this herald of Scripture at large that treats uh, counselors uh, and the counsel thereof as the guardrails of our Christian faith. And so I just want to hit pause and talk about that for a little bit. Uh, talk about this, uh, this truth and this principle in Scripture. And here's the question I want to kick to us at the table as we can put it up on the screen. It's this. Why do you think leaning on the counsel of others is so important in the process of decision making? Why would the Bible go to great lengths to emphasize this component of the Christian life? Why is this so important? Go ahead, talk about it at your tables, and we'll pick this up in a few minutes. Muchest of loveth, go. Okay, you can go ahead and wrap up those conversations. The point of discussion.
So the interesting thing to consider when taking into account this biblical pattern of decision-making, bringing in the counselors, the trusted voices, and by the way, we're talking about trusted voices here. We're not talking about a Joe Schmo that you don't know very well or someone who you know isn't going to offer really good counsel. Trusted voices and a multitude of trusted counselors, their safety. But the, the area of tension that we run into, I think, with this is that this runs uh, in stark contrast to our individualistic society, doesn't it? Uh, because the voices and the, the ethos that we're living in in post-modernity today heralds uh, messages like, I am my own uh, trailblazer. I make my own destiny. You know, I'm the one who makes decisions. And, and you guys, keep it to yourselves. This is my life. This is me. You know, this is me. This is my life. This is my journey. And so much to the point to where the bringing in the counselors is actually viewed with suspicion, isn't it? Where there's actually a mistrust of asking people, a mistrust of bringing in another perspective, actually an innate fear of somebody uh, saying something that's contrary to what you feel like life is heading or the decision you feel like is the best one to take. This individualistic bent that we live in. And I would be uh, so bold as to suggest that our deep-seated individualism is perhaps the greatest impediment in us discerning God's will and God's leading for our lives. I think that this individualism that we can, just by nature of being saturated with in our society, I think this can run uh, so contrary to the biblical model that it can actually serve as one of the greatest deterrents and impediments of us uh, really being able to discern the way that God is leading us in our lives. And I think it's significant that nowhere in Scripture do we see, hey, just like you, you do you. You make your decisions. Don't worry about it. It's kind of all chalked up to sovereignty anyway. So like, just kind of go with the flow and do your thing. Instead, we see, hey, there is much to be said for trusted voices. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. There are the boundary lines that hedge you in and fence you into kingdom life that keep you from making a decision uh, that really implodes on you and blows up in your face. Proverbs twelve fifteen again, another passage in Proverbs, um, goes so far as to say, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Um, the fool thinks that they're making a legitimate and worthwhile decision. The fool is so convinced that their decision is the right way, and yet it's foolish. Uh, they're characterized as a fool. But a wise man listens to advice. A wise man is the one who is humble and who is open-handed with his or her decisions and leans in to the voices of counselors. Centuries later, after Solomon writes this in Proverbs, we see the Apostle Paul step up and in 1 Corinthians 14, liken the church and the people of God as the body of Christ, the metaphor of the body. And this big idea that we need each other. Now, the specific context that Paul was talking about was pertaining to the gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the appropriate use of the gifts uh, in a church setting. But yet the greater idea and the greater principle still remains that we are not lone wolves on this journey of faith. 
We are not trailblazers of our own destiny, but we are a part of this greater body. And therefore, our decisions don't only affect us. Our decisions affect those around us. Uh, And though it's a sobering reality, we ought to lean into these counselors around us, these trusted voices, because we are the body. Paul says in that same passage, 1 Corinthians 14, that we're the ones who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We share a similar trajectory in life. And therefore, our decisions ought to be made within the context of this community and this life of faith and this priesthood of believers around us. I think one of the most beautiful expressions of making decisions with a myriad of counselors and trusted voices uh, takes place and is manifested in the Quaker tradition. So the Quakers have this practice where when uh, a single person or a married couple really are uh, heading into a big decision in life— We're thinking about relocating over uh, in this city or this state. I'm thinking about taking this job. An engaged couple, hey, we're we're thinking about getting married. Uh, Big decisions. The Quakers have a way of gathering together in uh, someone's living room. And the, the closest, most trusted, intimate voices in the individual making the decisions life are accounted for in that living room. And they sit around. And they break bread together, and they have dinner, and they shoot the breeze, and they connect. And then they uh, move from the dinner table over to the living room. And they're sitting around with coffees, and they're sitting around with teas, and they're sitting around with uh, conversation. And all of a sudden it turns, and they start to uh, open up the conversation about this particular decision that's on the chopping block. And uh, no question is out of bounds. No comment is out of bounds. They, uh, the ones seeking the decision want the bluntest honesty. And basically, the, the individual or the couple sits there and says, here's what it is, you guys. Boom, 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 boom. Here's the decision on the table. Here's why we're wanting to make the decision. Here's the appeal to it. And then the trusted voices in the living room just shoot holes in it. Bah, bah, bah. Well, have you considered this? And it seems like some pride may be laced with this decision. Oh, okay. And I'm not so sure that this may be for the best interest of your family or man, there's something to this. There's a gravity to this. There's attraction that's really apparent. And they just have this space of mulling it over and discerning together. And the consensus after that living room gathering that the decision of the individual or the married couple come to is largely based on what conversations were had in this living room. I mean, how beautiful is that? How humbling is that? How safe is that? I think, man, when I want to make big decisions in life, I want to implement something like that into my life to where I bring in the trusted voices and have an intentional gathering of people who can just blow holes in the potential decision on the chopping block. This beautiful, safe, fenced-in council of voices. Um, I think the Quakers are on to something here because uh, is it not quintessential arrogance to believe that uh, what I'm feeling and what I'm discerning is 100% irrefutably the right way, which I think uh, is the way we think about decision-making sometimes. Well, it's, it's, you know, this is my decision and I'm making it for myself and okay, I think this is the best way, so boom, decision made. Is that not arrogant? Can we not concede together just the slightest bit of infallibility on our part? Fallibility, not infallibility. 
infallibility. Even us, you know, if, if you add in the theological layer and say, you know what, but we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Yes, absolutely. But can there not be a possibility of us missing it? Is there not a possibility where our fallibility meets the decision to be made and we just kind of blow it? And yeah, God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Okay, got it. But that doesn't negate the importance of walking in wisdom in the decisions that we make. And so it's important to hold our decisions open-handedly, like we talked about last week. Not only our plans open-handedly, but also the modes and the ways in which we are making decisions. To lay it before the Lord and to say, Father, uh, I'm going to bring in a number of counselors because I fully recognize that I can uh, butcher this decision. I am far from infallible. Uh, this decision could hit the ground very quickly if I'm not careful, trusting in the multitude of counselors. And when we do this, we're walking in the wisdom that Solomon in the Proverbs beckons us into. We walk in wisdom. We walk in discernment. We walk wisely. James expounds on this kind of wisdom that we're to walk in in James chapter 3, uh, 13 through 17. It's going to be up. Let's read this together. This wisdom that we are to live in. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the what? Meekness of wisdom. The humility, humbleness, submissiveness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. That is the one that boasts, uh, and that is the one that is layered with selfish ambition. But it's earthly, unspiritual, yikes, demonic. Come on, James, ease up a little bit, bro. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let's leave that passage up because James is characterizing the nature of wisdom and the, the wisdom that we are called into as the people of God. And he, he really builds in a number of layers of what wisdom looks like. It's meek, right? It's meek, it's humble, uh, it's pure, and it's peaceable, it's gentle. But then he gets to this phrase, it's open to reason. And this is an incredibly significant phrase um, because uh, the NIV translates it submissive. Um, but the Greek word is eupetheis, and what it literally means is willing to listen and yield, willing to listen and yield. So basically the wisdom um, that we are called up into, the wisdom that's on the table for us, the wisdom that the, that the people of God ought to be characterized by is that which is uh, in decisions, in life, and it's open to listening, but it's also open to yielding. It has an open hand and says, you know what? Counselors, it's not a wisdom that says, yeah, this is me and this is my life and I'm going to do this and this and this and arrogant and boastful and, uh, and selfishly ambitious, but it's a wisdom that is humble. It's a wisdom that's submissive. It's a wisdom that is not only willing to listen, but it's a wisdom that is willing to yield and say, you know what? Um, I had this in mind and yet you're putting it in this way and it's really making me see that what I had in mind probably isn't the best for me. 
Or I'm, I'm, I'm actually sensing and discerning with you that the Holy Spirit might just be in this. And there might just be a reordering of my decisions, the willingness to listen and have an open ear, but the willingness ultimately, when the rubber meets the road, to yield and to say, okay, yeah, you know what? I, I lay that on the altar. Uh, those were selfish ambitions. Uh, this was something that had a little too much of me in it. You pay face, willing to listen and yield. And this is the, one of the key qualities and characteristics of wisdom that James exposits, of the wisdom that we are beckoned into. And when I read that, man, I wonder, um, for me and for us, when was the last time when I was making a decision, when we were making a decision, that I or we, I'll just say we, were open with it? Where we were not only open to listening, okay, yeah, yeah, great, great, that's some great advice, thanks, bro, but ultimately, but willing to yield, Willing to hit the brakes, not going into a uh, conversation with some trusted advisors or, or counselors and checking the box and saying, yeah, this is a good thing to do, but I really already know the decision I'm going to make, so this is kind of a formality. But actually holding it open and say, you know what, this may or may not be the right decision. Willing to yield, willing to lay it on the altar of our own ambitions. And if it be raised from the dead just as was, as was the case with Isaac, then so be the Lord's will. Um, so I want to kick this to a discussion time for us to dialogue together, nuance together, and, and it's this. How have you seen your own individualism act as a detriment to your decision-making in the past? Go ahead, get real, get raw, people. <laughs> we'll make some space for this. We'll pick this up in about 10, 15 minutes. Enjoy opening up. Go. All right, conversation is dwindling a touch. So go ahead and circle back, wrap up here. Um, I think all of us are after God's best for our lives. Um, and if that is the case, then there is nothing we ought to fear when consulting the counsel of others. Because at the end of the day, if we're refusing to bring in a number of different voices into our lives, what are we so afraid of? Because if the Lord is indeed leading, whether we perceive it or not, leading us uh, into a specific decision that needs to be made, then will it not pass the, the scrutiny of others? Maybe 100% of the time, depending on the voices, maybe not. But the vast majority of the time, I think uh, if we really have a tender and pliable heart to walk in the Lord's ways and to make the right decision, and we're bringing in counselors, then it's going to pass the scrutiny test. People will uh, allow us to really get some clarity of how the Holy Spirit is directing our steps. And so I think the final question, the, maybe the greatest question, practically speaking, is who do you have in your life? who you can seek counsel from, uh, who is right in front of you, who you can call up, who you can go get coffee with, who you can bring into your living room and go Quaker style with it and say, here's where it is. Um, I'll cook the dinner. You bring the proverbial shotgun and blow holes in my, uh, my decision. Here you go. Who are those people? Family, friends, mentors, pastors, leaders? 
Uh, I think the invitation, when we look at the biblical model of decision-making, and when we look at this uh, invitation into wisdom to make healthy, discerning decisions— Uh, is to consult who is around me right now. Because those are the ones, the trusted voices, who, again, draw the fence line around our soul and our situation. Who then, by, uh, you know, getting advice and gleaning advice from, will draw out the unhealthy things of our souls that may be interwoven and muddied into the decision that we're making, or pinpoint, hey, you know what, consider this, these counselors. Um, And I think when we do, we walk in wisdom. And here's the kicker, is that often in those settings, quite often, in those settings, we see the Holy Spirit order our steps. And we begin to discern, oh, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit actually is involved in this direction, this trajectory of my life. Instead of putting ourselves in a corner and going lone wolf on it, Allowing the counselors to speak in really uh, is the shape and substance of the Holy Spirit's activity and guiding and direction on our lives. And so then we live and we walk in wisdom. We live and we walk in safety and we consult the counselors and make wise and godly and discerning decisions the way that scripture beckons us and invites us and challenges us to make. Amen. Let's stand. And Lord, we ask that you would make it so? Would we be the people who are marked as those who lean in to godly counsel? Would you make us those who chuck our own individualism at the door and who come open-handed with our plans, open-handed with our dreams, open-handed with our aspirations, and open-handed with our decision-making, and allow the trusted and safe voices in our lives to speak wisdom and counsel into it. And I pray that as we do this, we would, in fact, live in the safety of the boundary line of decisions, that even in that, your Holy Spirit would make it very clear that you are directing us and ordering our steps in this context of gleaning the counsel of others. Lord, make it so. Would you continue to lead us and provoke us into deeper levels of kingdom life this week? And I ask that as we go, may we be salt, may we be light, may we be the sweet-smelling fragrance of Jesus Christ. And I pray that over you, young adults, us, young adults, that we would be the fragrance of Christ in the city, we'd be the fragrance of Christ on our college campuses, we'd be the fragrance of Christ in our workplace, and we would emit Uh, the sweet-smelling aroma of salvation and love and grace and hope and joy that can be only found in the finished work of the cross and through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen.